and Media Talk Show. My name is Dick Whaley. And hold on to your seats, folks. I'm Jim Dwyer. Hold on to your seats, eh? Is that because you got uh, some Gore Vidal there? <laughs> no, I just, uh, the program had begun and I was still had my nose in the news. Nose in the news, well. Certainly been a few bizarre incidents uh, of late. One uh, area that Bush's nose has probably not been in. He's on a working vacation down there in Crawford. Yeah, uh, the cartoonist uh, Oliphant has had a good series oh, yeah. uh, involving this where Uncle Dick is, uh, Dick Cheney is offering some advice and guidance to the young uh, hobby horse uh, riding president, Lil President. And he needs advice, no doubt. Uh, an excellent uh, editorial in yesterday's New York Times by Frank Rich, who I think has become their best uh, columnist on a regular basis. He only has uh, one starring role a week, but at least it's in the Sunday edition. And um, as he puts it, what started in Ohio ended in Ohio. And uh, the title of this is Someone Needs to Tell the President the War is Over. Uh, he goes on to note, and this is what's interesting, he says, uh, like the Japanese soldier marooned on an island for years after VJ Day, which of course uh, today is the anniversary of 60th uh, anniversary, President Bush may be the last person in the country to learn that for Americans, if not Iraqis, the war in Iraq is over. Quote, we will stay the course, he insistently tells us from his Texas ranch. What do you mean, we, white man? <laughs> he then goes on to note that the president's approval rating for Mr. Bush, Bush's handling of Iraq, plunged to 34% in last weekend's Newsweek poll, a match for the 32% that uh, approved of LBJ's handling of Vietnam in early, 19, uh, early March of 1968. The two presidents' overall approval ratings have also converged, 41% for Johnson then, 42% for Bush now. But our current Texas president has even outdone his predecessor. Mr. Bush has not only lost the country, but his army. Neither bonuses nor fudge standards for the faking of high school diplomas has solved the recruitment shortfall. Now Jake Tapper of ABC News reports that armed forces are so eager for bodies that they will flout, don't ask, don't tell, and hang on to the gay soldiers who tell, even if they tell the press. Uh, and, of course, he goes on to note that, uh, of course, Bush started his uh, selling of the war um, back in Cincinnati, of Ohio, on October 7th of 2002, which, ironically, by the way, uh, just for the uh, purpose of histor historical coincidence, was the one-year anniversary of the start of America's war in Afghanistan. Uh, I never noticed that before, but that is bizarre. Uh, mm -hmm. Of course, that's when he claimed that uh, Iraq and al-Qaeda have had high-level contacts that go back a decade, quote-unquote, uh, an exaggeration, as Frank Rich notes, based on evidence that the Senate Intelligence Committee would later find far from conclusive. He said that Saddam could, quote, have a nuclear weapon in less than a year, unquote, were he able to secure an amount of highly enriched uranium a little larger than a single softball. Our own national intelligence estimate of October 1st quoted State Department's findings that claims of Iraq's pursuit of uranium in, in Africa were, quote, highly dubious, unquote. He then goes on to note the irony of uh, Ohio because uh, 
basically a battalion of uh, National Guards folks uh, near the Cleveland area were all killed in a pretty vicious uh, within a couple of days uh, a number of them were killed yeah that was the 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 really bad uh, IED uh, in western Iraq and then he rich makes the observation that of course Paul Hackett a Democrat who uh, called the president a chicken hawk unquote received 48 percent of the vote and this guy is uh, an Iraqi war vet yes and he almost won a heavily Republican district that previously had voted for uh their congressman, quote, and Bush at a basic ratio of about 65 to 35. So the fact that he almost won that election is very interesting. That district, by the way, was uh, Bob Portman's district. District. He's the new trade uh, envoy for the Bush administration. Um, and, of course, Rich wisely concludes this uh, analysis with, I think, some wise observations about the ultimate problem uh, that we have now in Iraq. He writes, what lies ahead in Iraq is not victory, which Bush has never clearly defined, but an exit strategy or triage strategy that may echo Johnson's March 68 plan for retreat from Vietnam, some kind of negotiations, in this case with Sunni elements, followed by uh, more inflated claims about the readiness of local troops and training whom we'll then throw to the wolves. Such an outcome may lead to even greater disaster, but this administration long ago squandered the credibility needed to make the difficult case, blah, blah, blah. Thus, the president's claim on Thursday, where he went out to address the uh, Cindy Sheehan issue, that, quote, no decision has been made yet about withdrawing troops from Iraq can be taken exactly as seriously as the vice president's preceding fantasy that the insurgency is in its, quote, last throes, unquote. The country has already made the decision for Mr. Bush. We're out of there. Now comes the hard task of identifying the leaders who can pick up the pieces of the fiasco that has made us more vulnerable, not less, to the terrorists who struck four years ago next month. Well, perhaps he could be encouraged to swallow the uh, hundreds of thousands of support the troops magnets which litter America's roads. Uh, hey, uh, pretty exciting for the president. You know, forget about the war. Forget about the uh, bereaved uh, uh, mother. He's going biking with Lance Armstrong. Oh, wow. This is he going to teach him some lessons on how to fall off the bike? Uh, because I think that is something that he may have a merit badge in by this point. Indeed. Well, uh, one hopes that Lance Armstrong may have the uh, testicular fortitude, uh, forgive the pun, to... Uh, relay to the president some of his own personal feelings about the war because I've read some comments from him that suggest that this might be a very interesting bike ride for the president. Really? <laughs> I think he may finally have a chance to hear something from somebody who disagrees. Well, somebody I, who's actually a pop culture hero. Yeah, and I think that the selling of the war is uh, continues to be Bush's ultimate problem. Um, one uh, observer, and I can't remember who actually made this observation, but I thought it was very perspicacious at the time. The The big problem for America now is Bush is trying to... The, he's trying to portray what we're doing in Iraq as somehow winnable, that it, it, it's, a, it's a domestic success that Bush is actually after with the American people. And, of course, this is impossible as the casualty figures continue to mount... And, of course, the costs of the war continue to amount. 
And to hear today that the CBO has issued a new report on the deficit claiming that we've made $80 billion of progress uh, over this past year due to enhanced revenue by corporations, uh, a scary development in and of itself. Yeah, that's a pretty uh, weighted phrase. One has to make the uh, pungent observation that the war keeps being put, quote, off budget. And uh, the cost of the Iraqi war has gone over the $200 billion mark as of a couple of um, months ago. And, of course, in October, more money will be needed. So this selling of the war is the ultimate problem. And you you hear Condoleezza Rice, and I'll give her another brain damage award because she is one of the biggest dopes in America today. It's actually scary to contemplate, by the way, that she's actually fifth in line for the presidency. Well, there's a pretty well-established movement afoot to draft her for that uh, function as a candidate next time around. I mean, if al-Qaeda could somehow get the Senate pro tem, Speaker of the House, Vice President Cheney, and uh, George Bush himself all killed in a terrorist attack, um, she'd be president. Scary. Um, But uh, today, in view of the fact that the the, uh, constitutional discussions collapsed, she made this incredible statement. She said, we are witnessing democracy in Iraq, unquote. <laughs> really. Uh, I think we're witnessing sectarian violence. I think we're witnessing the incipient stages of civil war. I think we're witnessing the beginning stages of maybe a partition of Iraq. The Kurds, by the way, are actually want a clause inserted whereby they can secede uh, from Iraq. So Condoleezza Rice uh, may need to uh, be told that the war is still on, because uh, she is clueless. Well, they never really did have the game plan. And, of course, and, she uh, was one of the main sales people right. uh, for the war. Unbelievable. Well, here's a bizarre little item from a couple of days ago, the August 11th uh, Ann Arbor News. These small articles always uh, pack some interesting hidden things. The headline itself is rather curious. Army wins a battle in recruiting war. Okay, think about that one for a second. Here's the article. The active duty Army hit its recruiting target in July for a second straight month, but the summertime rebound may not be enough to make up for long-term shortfall, according to figures the Pentagon provided Wednesday. The Army National Guard, meanwhile, missed its goal again, recruiting only 4,712, or 80% of its July target of new members, spokesman uh, Brian Whitman said. The Guard has hit its target only once in the past 19 months and remains far from its yearly goals. The U.S. Army Reserve also fell short of its target, recruiting 2,131 new reservists, 82% of its goal. Uh, The reserve is also behind in its annual goal. The Pentagon has blamed, here's the silver lining, I guess. The Pentagon has blamed the recruiting shortfalls in part on an economy that's providing other opportunities to high school and college graduates. Rubbish. (laughs) Opinion polls the other way around. (laughs) They finally met their goals because it's summertime. The economy's so crappy, right, and there's no jobs for young people. Uh, Opinion polls also show young people and parents are turning away from Army service because of the combat in Iraq and Afghanistan. Oh, really? As well they might. But to go back to the headline, Army wins a battle in recruiting war. 
against whom? Itself. Well, apparently itself <laughs> and these other branches of the armed services. Um, fairly bizarre. Well, the safe place, not just for you uh, potential military recruits out there, is uh, be like Richard Nixon. Join the Navy. <laughs> Iraq and Afghanistan are landlocked countries. Of course, uh, the Navy is still in the Persian Gulf. Don't get me wrong. But right. uh, Well, they're asking for money to develop a new destroyer that can, so they can be more active in the Iraq War since they're so far away out there in the sea from uh, primary targets. They want a better ship so they can bomb from further away. And, of course, since the uh, don't ask, don't tell uh, policy has been <laughs> tossed out with the uh, so-called proverbial bathwater and the baby, uh, the Navy has close quarters, gentlemen. There you go. So bring your village people collection and everything will be fine. Um, Maybe that can be a new recruiting <laughs> selling point for it's the... It's okay. Yeah. It's okay to be gay in the Navy. <laughs> well, they got to do something for these numbers. Um, here's a few other uh, quick military-related items. Um, a veteran recently named Marine of the Year for his service in Iraq was charged with attempted murder after firing a shotgun from his apartment window. Yeah, I read about that. Um, well, obviously, as a, you know, a father myself, I can appreciate the problems that may occur when there are late-night revelers outside, but these are why we have the duly accredited representatives of the law, known as the police. And you phone them up, and they take care of the... Uh, problem for you. You don't need to do your own shooting as a regular citizen. Of course, uh, probably from his experience in Iraq, he figured that the police would never get there, so <laughs> he took matters into his own hands. Indeed. And here's another uh, firearms-related uh, thing. A man... Uh, no arrest for shooter near Crawford, Texas. A man fired a shotgun into the air as about 60 anti-war protesters held a religious service on the road to President Bush's ranch. Sheriff's deputies and Secret Service agents in the area rushed to the home of Larry Matledge after the shots were fired, but did not arrest him. I ain't threatening nobody, and I ain't pointing a gun at nobody, he said. This is Texas. I, apparently that's enough said. Well, of course, Cindy Sheehan has been uh, protesting down there and camping out. She's been joined by dozens of uh, people uh, sympathetic. She's going to be down there for the duration of the vacation. This article concludes, though, with this observation. Matledge said he was sympathetic towards the demonstrators at first, but said they have blocked roads in the area and caused traffic problems. He said he fired his gun in preparation for dove hunting season. Oh, great. But when asked whether he had another motive, he said, figure it out yourself. Mm. Rather he, a cryptic observation there. Could he be another chicken hawk? Uh, Got to kill those doves, uh, birds, or uh, <laughs> shall we say peace activists or anti-war protesters. Speaking of uh, war, by the way, uh, there's a really outstanding, and I, I mean to underline this movie, called Brothers, that's playing... Um, it was at the Michigan Theater last week. It's still playing uh, in town at the state, which is part of the Michigan Theater uh, Foundation. And because uh, they are a nonprofit, we can promote uh, this uh, movie. Um, but it, I highly recommend this. This is a Danish movie uh, based on a sort of, uh, I'm assuming, a fictitious uh, story about uh, Danish troops uh, in Afghanistan. But this could be about America 
uh, of course, it wouldn't be produced in America because it's so um, dramatic in terms of its implicit anti-war message about the effect of war on the psyche. Mm. And I keep making uh, note of the fact that uh, even the Army's own studies of prolonged combat um, experiences show that uh, forces uh, under uh, duress for six months or more, 98% of uh, these forces become psychotic. And this, of course, explains why so many uh, Army veterans and war veterans in general come back from this in you know this long experience of combat very jaded and very changed as individuals um it's psychological trauma it is and uh that's the scary thing of course the two uh, the remaining two uh, percent presumably are already psychotic um and that is scary because of course uh this uh, movie dr- dramatizes a prisoner of war situation in Afghanistan sort of out in the uh, bush so to speak uh, pardon the expression, uh, involving a major who cracks up. And, of course, back in Denmark, he's got the proverbial perfect middle-class family with the beautiful wife and happy children, etc. And uh, they assume he's dead and then he's discovered alive. But uh, go see the movie. This is a really powerful movie. That I don't think, by the way, could be made in America. Uh, I don't think any uh, director in America would have the courage to take on this kind of a story, though it certainly uh, could be about an American uh, major uh, that experiences trauma from serving in either Iraq or Afghanistan or maybe potentially Iran. Uh, Bush has more war plans in the making Amazingly enough. And it's uh, just brilliant uh, in its analysis. Called Brothers, uh, playing at the State Theater this week. Well, I see you've got your uh, book with you. I don't know if you wanted to get into that at all yet, but uh, since we've just mentioned movies, uh, Nixon at the Movies. Yeah, what a uh, what a treasure this book is. Uh, this is I, I commented on this book uh, several months ago when I read a some excerpts from a book review that appeared in the London Review of Books about this particular book called Nixon at the Movies by Mark Feeney, published by the University of Chicago Press. This is just an outstanding analysis of our favorite president, Richard Nixon. Uh, Down here on Gray Matters, I'm saying, our favorite (laughs) president. And it details uh, Nixon's movie-watching habits. Which were quite prolific. Quite prolific and just fascinating. Uh, It's very interesting that uh, the incursion into Cambodia, Nixon watched Patton three times over a six-week period, and Patton, of course, turned out to be his favorite movie. Um, This is a book that's about the psychological dark side of Richard Nixon, and it's filled with all sorts of great cultural commentary about the 50s, 60s, and 70s, in which Nixon was such a dominant political figure on the national scene. Uh, It's been observed, by the way, historically, that he was either on the presidential or vice presidential ticket in five out of six elections between 1952 and 1972, 1964 being the only one where he was absent, because, of course, he was the vice president, presidential candidate, and actually vice president for eight years. 
I'm curious to know what kind of movies he was watching back then, but uh, this is more about Nixon as president and what he watched, and it's just got fascinating cultural analysis, all sorts of unintended humor, and uh, jokes galore. I mean, who can resist a uh, a crack by the famous uh, Dick Gregory, who once made a wry observation that Nixon looked a little bit like a used car salesman. Humphrey, of course, looked like a man that would buy a car from Nixon. <laughs> George Wallace looked like a man who would steal it. <laughs> um, but uh, one of the fascinating little anecdotes, and I figured what I would read today just for its uh, humor, was the day Nixon met Elvis at the White House. Because uh, this is great stuff. Uh, of course, it's interesting that this whole meeting sort of came about um, through the traditional sort of circulation of interdepartmental presidential memos. And at one point, um, I think it was uh, Dwight Chapin uh, had written to uh, uh, Haldeman. Um, this is this is great. He says. Uh, if the memo, in his memo informing Haldeman of Elvis's desire to meet Nixon, and I'm quoting from the book here, Presidential Appointments Secretary Dwight Chabin argued that, quote, if the president wants to meet some bright young people outside government, Presley might be a perfect one to start with. In his prim script, Haldeman wrote in the margin, you must be kidding. <laughs> well, Haldeman is either... Uh more in touch with youth culture than Chapin is, or he's just so far removed from it that he doesn't even know who Elvis is, because, of course, by the time Nixon's president, Elvis is not really popular with the young people. Well, that might be because of his uh, his outfit. Anyway, the uh, meeting eventually occurs uh, on the momentous date of December 21st, 1970, where the king, as he was called... Um, I don't know what Richard Nixon's nickname might have been at, at the time, but uh, maybe uh, chairman of the board. <laughs> Bill Maher, of course, jokingly says that the Fox News Network should call George Bush my liege <laughs> in deference to the fact that he can do no wrong in their in their eyes, although cracks are appearing in the Fox Network's. Uh, own department. Well, not on Bill O'Reilly's program. But anyway, uh, Elvis, of course, desired to become an agent of the Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs and requested a badge. So the letter that he wrote is just so funny that I must read it on the air. Uh, this document um, apparently uh, made its way uh, to Ezel Crow, who at the time was deputy counsel to the president. Interestingly, he later became head of the plumbers unit and was interestingly, Egil Crow, this is, uh, eventually was appointed Department of uh, Transportation Secretary a month after the Dorothy Hunt plane crash in 1972 while the Watergate uh, fiasco was unfolding and the cover-up was beginning to cause problems for Nixon because, uh, just real quickly, Dorothy Hunt was E. Howard Hunt's wife. Uh, e. Howard Hunt began blackmailing the president, demanding money uh, to remain silent, as, and he wanted money for the other arrested Watergate burglars so that they could take care of their families. Greed, of course, played no role in it, but anyway, she died in a plane crash in December of 1972. Uh, United, by the way, uh, which, of course, is connected to 9-11 in its own uh, mysterious way. 
Uh, but this, uh, these observations by uh, Egil Crow are, are amusing themselves. He writes, uh, the handwriting seemed of grade school quality, recalled Egil Crow. Um, this was the same Crow who seven months before had been the White House official shadowing Nixon on his uh, visit to the Lincoln Memorial. That was memorialized, by the way, in the movie uh, by Oliver Stone, Nixon. Crow also noted a, quote, rather uninhibited use of capital letters throughout. The letter begins, Dear Mr. President, I would first like to introduce myself, Mrs. Elvis Presley. I am Elvis Presley and admire you and have great respect for your office. The drug culture, the hippies elements, the SDS, Black Panthers, etc., do not consider me as their enemy, or as they call it, the establishment. I call it America, and I love it. Sir, I can and will be of any service that I can to help the country out. By the way, I'm quoting this exactly. This is Elvis's tortured English here. And the use of <laughs> capitals is quite interesting. For instance, have great respect is capitalized. The drug culture, hippie, hippie elements are all capitalized, as are the Black Panthers. He writes, I can help the country out. I have no concern for motives other than helping the country out. So I wish not to be given a title or an appointed position. I can and will do more good if I were made a federal agent at large and will help out by doing it my way through the communications with people of all ages. First and foremost, I am an entertainer, but all I need is the federal credentials. I will be here in Washington for as long as it takes to get the credentials of a federal agent. I have done an in-depth study of drug abuse and communist brainwashing techniques, and am right in the middle of the whole thing where I can and will do the most good. <laughs> well, old Elvis might have been, must have been pretty whacked out on some goofballs when he wrote that letter. Yeah. Uh, maybe some roofies. <laughs> the joke went back then. Um, yeah, this is just mind-boggling, and of course, for some... A meeting was scheduled. There's the famous photo of them uh, clasping hands. It's uh, pretty remarkable. It is, it is, and of course, um, this is this is what's funny uh, that follows this. Um, oh, here we go. Uh, apparently, Crow, an Elvis fan, was delighted to meet the king, and I'm continuing here from the book by Mark Feeney. And assess the suitability of a presidential meeting. Two things struck him. Elvis's sincerity, which reassured him, and Elvis's attire, which did not. Uh-oh, this could get a little dicey, Crow recalled thinking. And then, of course, he eventually meets the president. And it's interesting because Feeney then continues, small wonder that even though it was apocryphal, the most frequently cited exchange from the Oval Office meeting is Nixon saying, boy, you sure do dress kind of wild. To which Elvis rejoins, well, Mr. President, you got your show and I got mine. <laughs> and, uh, of course, the, uh, well, the meeting uh, happened and, uh, oh, history's never been the same. Uh, because as the author goes on to note, Elvis, Nixon was the only uh, president that Elvis actually met. And it's interesting, uh, just as an aside, that apparently, I mean, by this point, I'm sure Elvis's politics had sort of changed from, uh, as, as, uh, as he was called, a yellow dog uh, 
Democrat um, to uh, a whacked out uh, expert on what is it? Drug abuse and communist brainwashing techniques. Uh, I don't know what was going on in Elvis's mind there, but he certainly knew the right words to clue in and cue in to get the president to meet him so he could get that badge. <laughs> but uh, this is great. Uh, apparently, back in 1956, um, uh, Elvis was in uh, Memphis here and uh, apparently had a little bit of a little meeting with the press. And uh, Feeney writes, uh, Born in Bilbo's Mississippi, raised in Boss Crump's Memphis, Elvis's bloodlines were pure, pure yellow dog Democrat. Asked by reporters in 1956 about Elvis for President Buttons, he took the opportunity to plug his candidate. I'm strictly for Stevenson. I don't dig the intellectual bit, but I'm telling you, man, he knows the most. Unquote. <laughs> So uh, Now, if only Elvis had gone out on the stump speech circuit with that message, history might have gone very different. Indeed. Yeah. So this is an absolutely wonderful book. In the appendix, by the way, they have a exact chronology of all the movies that Nixon watched. I saw a photo. It uh, looked like from the conversation. Oh, yeah. I, did he see that? Is that on the list? Um, I, I, I can't recall if he actually did, but what I was going to observe was one of the most bizarre things. Uh, one of the most bizarre movies he watched um, in early 1974, and they don't have an exact date on this because by that point, I think Nixon was... Pretty in, whacked out himself. Yeah, he was in deep doo-doo. But in January of 1974, he watched Executive Action, which is basically a movie about the killing of John F. Kennedy. And some other really bizarre things. Uh, this is one of the most bizarre. Right around the time of the Saturday Night Massacre... Uh, in 1973, he watched Hitler the last 10 days. Whoa. <laughs> but the, the interesting thing, of course, John Wayne was his favorite uh, movie star. He watched tons of John Ford movies. There's actually a listing of all the R movies he watched, which uh, maybe we can get to next week. And um, he had a, a fondness for musicals. 